Saturday morning, jumped out of bed and put on my best suit. Got in my car and raced like a jet all the way to. Bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Why you gotta be so rude? Everybody, what up? Uh, emergency episode of 2, 5, and 10. Well, not really an emergency episode. We plan to record tonight. Benny, what up? What's going on? Um, we're recording this after Game 3 in Tampa and also after some minor news with the Boston Bruins over the last seven and ten days, including today, that we'll get into. But uh, really nothing going on with either of our teams. <laughs> yeah, quiet, quiet day. Yeah, nothing's going on. It's, all, it's only June, man. We'll be all right. Yeah, so we'll kick it off with the boys up north, uh, the Bruins. Uh, the last week or so, this always happens at the end of every playoff run, but some injuries were announced and surgeries. I don't think... Anybody expected as many long-term recovery times that came out? Marshan's out uh, until November. Uh, McAvoy and Grizzlick are out till November, December. Bergeron had, is having elbow surgery, and he's going to be recovery time is through the almost yeah, it was, it was another the end ten, of training camp. Yeah, it was another 10 to 12 weeks. Yeah, so. um, and then the big news today was Bruce Cassidy was fired, so... Gather, I, I mean, gathering your thoughts about the injuries. Do you think the injuries played a part in the Bruins letting Cassidy go? Because he might realize next year is going to be kind of a retooling year, and Cassidy is not a rebuilding coach. Or did he realize that the window is pretty much shut, and Cassidy they just need a new voice? I'm saying, Uncle, Uncle, <laughs> uh, I'm waving the flag. Uh, listen. Bruce Cassidy gets fired today. Was I taken back a little bit? Y- yes, I was not expecting the news. But at the same time, this kind of seems to be Don Sweeney's MO. It- he fired Claude Julian while the Patriots were having a parade. So uh, not the biggest of news as to he did it about an hour before puck drop between Colorado and Edmonton playing game four right now. Now, as for Cassidy getting fired, I mean, if you look at it as a whole... There is no better NHL coaching market than there is right now out there. So if you are going to fire him, I think right now is the most opportune time. As for why the firing, um, I have a couple of my own things. I think part of it here is, I do think part of this is a Don Sweeney scapegoat. Um I got Don home. How dare you not win the cup? <laughs> well, no, I, I feel like his trading has been effective. 
but the drafting has been awful. Yeah. Like call a spade a spade. And I think part of the reason is we saw these injuries come down. We see a timeline. We are going to be a very, very young team at the beginning of next year. And I think where maybe management and Don Sweeney point the finger at with, I mean, obviously they're Sweeney's draft picks, but at the same time, I do think it is the coach's job to develop them. They're going to say that these kids are not developing in going far under Bruce. And I think that is an okay assessment. I think, you know, hey, this guy can only do this. But if you're asking the coach, the coach saying, well, the guy's sailing is only this. So, so now we're at a stalemate, right? When's so the last time a prospect exceeded the his quote-unquote potential with under Cassidy, where they're like, oh, he's a bottom sixer, but then he blossomed into a top six, or he's a third-pair guy, and he's a top-four guy as a prospect. Honestly, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe you could say Grizzlick was better than we thought he was going to be, but, I mean, outside of that, I, I'm just saying, like, we expected Charlie McAvoy to be what he is. Yeah. We thought Carlo was going to be what he is. I mean, all the other guys up front were already in place, so you can't even really put anything on them as under the Cassidy regime. Um, I've also heard rumblings j- just uh, amongst media and you know other people that Bruce has gotten into it with some guys in the locker room. One of the biggest reports. I was going to ask that because it's when a coach is fired so long after the season has ended, it's not a decision that was already made and the GM was just waiting until the season ended. Usually it's like the day after, right? The fact that Uh, it's two weeks later tells me that there was input. Well, that's that's what I think. I think there was input because I feel like the other part of it too, you know, it's been a couple of weeks it wasn't an impulse fire, yep. so so now you're sitting on it. Uh, there was one thing that came out last year that Cassidy went at it with Grizzlick in the locker room, and Bergeron had to get in between the two of them. Gee, you can't do that and, as a coach, and, man. Uh, I guess they said Bergeron gave it to him and said, we'll settle this in-house. Like We don't need you here. So now the other part of it is this. We've had the issue with Jake DeBrusque. Yep. And now, I mean... Don Sweeney, who has now signed him to an extension, and you know Jake has said he still wanted to leave town. Now with a different coach coming in, is that the same? Yeah, maybe I, I he think wants to you, stay. Maybe he wants to stay. Another very interesting tidbit right now is David Pasternak went over to the World Championships, played with David Krejci, and was seen days after still with David Krejci and asked him the question, hey, are you coming back to Boston next year? And Krejci has this shitty ingrin on. And could it just be for social media and everything else? Yes, I'm sure. But remember one thing here. David pa- uh, David Krejci was very vocal about Cassidy does not let him play with Pasternak. And now this year, Krejci's gone. Pasta ends up on the second line. And now you're like, hmm, he would have been there with David Krejci. Yeah. So now, does this leave the door open? Was this a conversation with David Krejci? Was this a conversation with Patrice Bergeron? Was this a conversation with Brad Marchand? Pasta? And maybe it just finally hit. It just boiled over. 
Yeah, I mean, we and, talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? Where when you think of when people discuss the top coaches in the league, nobody mentions Cassidy despite the continued playoff status of the Bruins as an organization. Like, you would get through probably 10 coaches before you're like, oh, yeah, Cassidy in Boston. Mm-hmm. No, and that, and that's fair. Um, I think part of the problem, too, at least with Bruce, was if if I asked you, would you say that the Bruins made it to the playoffs every year, their consistency in the playoffs was due to the players in their lineup or the coaching? I think you have to say the players. I mean, just off the top of your head, you're like, well, they have so-and-so, so-and-so. Yeah, I mean, it, it checks the boxes. Yeah, they should be a playoff team. I will, give, I'll, I will give the credit. This is like the most credit you can give a locker room. I don't think they needed a coach. I think they needed a, a media spokesperson because the core of the Bruins have been through so much and they've been there for so long that – if they didn't have a coach and it was the same roster and the same leadership group, even without Chara this past year or two years, I don't think it would have mattered. Yeah, it's kind of still par for the course, yeah. right? It's just the same. Oh, this is how we do things here. No one gets paid more than so, than Bergie. No one does this. No one like It's just the organizational dynamic versus... Well, without Cassidy, now the dynamics going to change. The on ice might change a little bit. The system might change a little bit. Um, the development of young guys is going to change. But I don't think if the entire core came back again for another go and everybody was healthy to start the year, that it'd be like, well, okay, we don't recognize his Bruins team. Yeah, I mean, I, I think going up until Christmas next year, you're definitely going to notice this Bruins team. There, Let me ask you, be... this is the biggest question for me. Mm-hmm. I know, and I thought it was stupid at the time, it's even worse now, that Lindholm extension. But with all the injuries and the recovery time, let's say best case scenario, all these guys come back November 1st, or November 15th, I'd say, mid-November. Mm-hmm. Do you still want to make a run at it next year where you scrape, almost scrape by this year, right? You guys saw your limitations, and now you're looking at it where your first line center is Charlie Coyle. I was going to say that that's going to work out good on account that he couldn't even be a second line yeah. center. So, yeah, it's going your to be defense, great. Your defense is basically there's no McAvoy, there's no Grizzlick. Um, you have Connor Clifton and Carlo in your first pair. I like. Well, you'd have you'd have Hampus. Oh so, yeah, Lindholm. So, yeah. yeah, you have Swayman in that, which is solid. But is there enough behind them to hold the fort down until December when the guys start coming back and getting into the swing of things? And even if they do come back, and that's assuming Bergeron doesn't retire, is that still enough to make you guys compete with Tampa, Florida, Toronto, the Rangers, Carolina? Like, or should you guys take the year and? Your answer to that will determine, in my mind, the direction you should go with your coaching search. Personally, I believe that if you have guys who are coming back mid-November from injury and then they still need to play 
which means they could still have a rough first till till the beginning of the year. Yeah, you, you know, like get, shaking the rust off. I think you start to transition to a much younger team, and why I say that is, we just signed John Beecher. Had a great, great rest of the season in Providence. We signed that kid from Ohio State, the Russian Georgie Merkalov, I believe you say. Kid was great this year, sniping pucks everywhere. And then you had Lizelle, who has gone above and beyond everybody's expectation out there in Vancouver, carrying that team through these Western Hockey League playoffs. I think you need to start transitioning the kids. Yeah. But it's like a weird dynamic because you, let's say you start transitioning, but then you have Lindholm, who's a veteran on a long-term deal. You have Marchand, who's in his 30s, who's not going to want to stick around and be like, well, in five years, when I'm 38, we we may be a legit Stanley Cup contender again. Or even, let's say, three years, when I'm 35, 36, um, with all that mileage on his type of body build. And then, uh, no, I, well, I think part of it too is transition to the kids, but I, I think you need to get rid of some of the, some of the weight on this roster. I mean, obviously, I know next coil, year, but... obviously coil. But if you look at the end of next season, so we have to get through this season. All the UFAs we currently have: Nick Foligno, three point eight, that'll be off the books. Craig Smith, three one, off the books. Eric Halla, two three seven five, off the books. No sick Wagner. Like, we have people coming off that are finally going to start opening things up for us a little bit. And I think if maybe our transition year is actually next year to start bringing these kids in. But you got to do something if guys aren't going to be playing until Thanksgiving. You you just got to do it. If that's the case, does Bergeron retire or does he just take the year off and then come back? I would say he'll play out next year. I, I think you have two years left to Bergie. I think he's... I don't know, man. The way he left the ice after the loss in Carolina gave me the vibe of, yeah, that was it. See, I, I think he hugged everybody. Just thank you for the year, boys. I think he has two years. I think next year is going to be a lot of guys are recovering. He'll get through there. And then the year after that will be it. I just think that give him another year of a refresh lineup. And I think the other thing is Bergeron is a firm believer in leaving it better than the way that you got it. And I think he wants at least one year with the kids in a transition lineup to show them how to be professionals. Um, as, as far as coaching names, do you have anybody at the top of your list? Top of my list uh, on a personal level, I said it before, I, I really like Paul Maurice. Okay. I, I think that's a guy that, that could come in and, you know, not the same as Cassidy, but, um, you know, stern, but, but I mean, you could definitely see it in the media. Definitely has a personality. Um, I, I hope not. Joe Sacco, and I don't mean it as a disrespect to Joe Sacco, but if you're firing the head coach, I don't think hiring one of his assistants as the head coach is the move. Yeah. I think you have to look somewhere else. Unless, and, and, unless I mean, you're Lou Lamarillo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I honestly think you can keep Joe Sacco on the coaching staff. Like I said, it's not a knock at Joe. I just think that with the names that are out there, you have to look elsewhere. I mean, Barry Trotz is out there. Do I think Barry Trotz is coming here? No. Um, I mean, John Tortorella is out there. I don't think Tortorella I, is a transition coach. <laughs> no, but but I'm just saying, like, there. this is the biggest market of all time. Um, That's how Coach I felt. Q. Remember, I kept saying it was like the Rangers can't squander the opportunity to bring in Gallant because of David Quinn. And luckily, they follow through on that and they let go of Quinn and they brought in Gallant. And look where we are now. Hey, I mean, it, it's huge. And yet again, too, another person who's out there, David Quinn. And I don't think Quinny's coming here, but it's just like. There are so many names out there, Jay and Leach. that's why Jay Leach is out there. He is. He had a good year assistant coach out in uh, Seattle. I just – I don't know who's coming in here, but I am extremely curious to find out. And uh, like you said, too, I think that also dictates as to where our future lies, as to what type of coach they bring in. And, all right, for example, we, we talk about Tortorella and accountability, is that going to be something good here, or is that something that guys can do for themselves? Because, I mean, you heard, you know, Cassidy and Grizzly got into it in the locker room. So it's like, you know, you know Torts is going to give it to guys. So it's like, where do we go here? Is there a certain way? Is there a certain thing? Is Or is this strictly about being able to develop your draft picks? And Don Sweeney's now saying, whoever this new coach is is going to save my bacon because he can develop young players. I think it's going to be leaning towards more towards that versus we need someone to come in and uh, basically manage the room. I just wonder who it is. Like that's my, like I honestly don't know. I'm going to go off the wall and go Renborg from uh, Europe. I mean, he fits the MO for developing guys, but (laughs) Uh, or hey, you know, uh, was it Marco? Not Marco Sturm, right? Yeah, he was an assistant out in LA, and then he coached uh, Germany. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's another opening around the league. Apparently, on ESPN before Game One of the Eastern Conference Final, Emily Kaplan said that. There's a unofficial handshake deal in place for Trotz to go to Vegas. I heard that. I did see that. Um, I don't know, man. It just seems I don't like the way Vegas is ha- handling things. It's like they're just throwing a bunch of darts on a wall and seeing where they go. Um, I don't know if Trotz is the answer there, but if Trotz goes to Vegas, like you said, there still leaves plenty of former NHL head coaches, you have a couple young up-and-comers. If I'm Boston, I'm doing transition, and then even, let's say, not next season, the season after, you're like, okay, we're getting right back into the thick of it. I don't know if having a 60-year-old torts or like one of those guys is the right answer if you're going to start using that year as a transition to the younger guys. You want a guy who's going to be around for the next... Because Boston doesn't fire coaches that frequently anymore. Um, no, we're we're holding on to people. Yeah, so exactly. You, you want a guy who's going to be there for five to seven years, not somebody who's coming in for two and then you're starting from scratch again. 
Yeah, I'm just... I don't know, man. I'm just... Like I said, I expected something to happen. It's not like this was a secret, but it's like, what the shit? Like, now we're in it. Now now something needs to now happen. It's, now it's kind of exciting, right? Yeah, exactly. It's going to be two weeks from now. The Boston Bruins have announced that they've come to terms with Claude Julien to be their next head coach. <laughs> hey, he's still out there, and he said he was looking for a head coaching job. So, um, You know, my... Here's my realistic pick. I, I do like Rumberg out in Europe. I think he would easily make the transition to the NHL, and he's probably the most well-respected head coach that's not in NHL right now. I'm going Jim Montgomery. They said that he was a guy expect him to get a head coaching job this offseason. So. Montgomery's a good coach. He paid his dues after the uh, – the incident, the substance abuse, and everything else, and he had Dallas on the right path. With he incorporated Garyanov, uh, Ruby Hints, Dickinson, all these guys, Robertson. So he has that track record too. I think if I'm going to make a prediction right now for the bees, it's Montgomery. All right. Um, yeah. What are you going to say? No, I was just going to say I. I... I like Maurice, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they do indeed go younger. So Yeah, I think that's where they're heading. But, again, I'm not the Bruins fan here. Um, transitioning over to my boys in New York, uh, they are currently up two games to one in the Eastern Conference Final against the back-to-back Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. They lost game three on the road in Tampa, even though they were up 2 nothing in a second period on two power play goals. The game-winning goal by Andre Palat with 41 seconds left after a very, very bad rotation defensively with Kreider and Zibanejad. Um I'm sure you've watched the games. My feeling is, my general feeling, and again, this, this could just be because of all the abuse I've taken as a Rangers fan and all the heartbreak throughout my life coloring it this way. I think they lost the series yesterday. I I was going to ask you because personally I would rather lose that game 8 to 2 than lose it the way that you did. And that was one of those knives just like right into the stomach you're like fuck. Here we go. The, the door's open again. I think the general <laughs> feeling is nobody I didn't expect them to be up 2-0 in the series. I didn't expect them to score on Vasilevsky the way they have, but they did. And then they go to Tampa up 2-0, and then you go up 2-0 in Game 3. You had the back-to-back champs on the ground. Mm -hmm. You had your foot on their neck, and you let them reverse the hold. And now yeah, they have couldn't hope. get the throat. <laughs> couldn't get the throat. Now they have hope. And game four is in Tampa. And now they're they're back to back champs for a reason. And they won two straight against Toronto. Now Toronto isn't the Rangers. They don't have Shusterkin. They don't have the guys we have up and down the lineup. Um so it could be a different animal here. And the Rangers are a very resilient team this year, as they've shown all year long and in the playoffs. But I think the mentality for Tampa went from 
We're about to be down 3 nothing. to now it's 2-1. And we have game four at home. It's th- Even though we're up two games to one, game four is a must-win for the Rangers. If they Agreed. go back to New York 2-2... I, if you lose game five, even, see ya. Even if they win game five, I think it's going to be very hard for a young team like we have to win two out of three against a back-to-back champs. So... Game four, even though we're up 2-1, and the worst that can happen is we go home with home ice advantage for the rest of the series, tied 2-2. I think mentally, if you allow Tampa to tie the series up, it's basically like a best of three from then on, and Tampa doesn't care about what happens. And the Rangers are in a position of like, oh, fuck. We need to win tomorrow night or today if you're listening to the podcast uh, on Tuesday. I just felt like we had a chance to really put them down and and basically end the series, and we let them back into it. Now, as for what changed from games one and two to game three yesterday for you guys? I mean, watching games one and two, uh, so we had that first start. You know, Kreider comes in, scores a minute in, places rocking. Tampa, I mean... Kucherov just looks slow out there. Yeah. At least games one and two, and then terrible. And then they come back yesterday, and it's like, all right, th- these are the guys we're used to. Finally, start establishing themselves. So, like, what changed, at least in your opinion, from your end or the Tampa end in that game three? I think it's two things. The first one is, um, you weren't going to have that version of Vasilevsky for the entire series, and. He still wasn't the normal Vasilevsky in game three, but he was a lot better. So I think that was one of the big differences. The second one was the Rangers have had trouble all playoffs long on the road. And the reason for that is the matchups. When we're on a road, we don't control when Mika's out there. And Mika gets lined up against uh, Malkin in round one. Jordan Stahl around two, and now the third line with Paul, uh, Kalorn, and uh, Sorelli in Tampa. And outside of the power play, they shut down the Zibanejad line with Crowder and Vitrano. So I think being on a road and losing the matchup advantage is something that is our Achilles heel because we can't – we can put try and put the Panera line out there but to be honest, Panarin has been, despite the goal in Game 7, which is always going to be like a legend, legendary moment for the Rangers' uh, Ranger history, he has been brutal this postseason. And I know he has like 10 assists, and he's getting his power play assists, but when it comes to carrying your line... It happened in a bubble, and it's happening again this year. He is a peripheral player. He tries his best, but there's countless times where I'm not expecting him to forecheck like Goodrow or Ryan Reeves or anybody like that, but he never plays the body. He, like, he never just – defenseman gets rid of the puck along the boards. He'll just circle away. And let the defenseman skate full speed back up into the play. There's no 
physical play. As soon as a defender comes near him, he one-hands the puck away to no one in particular. So it's a 50-50 puck battle. It's soft passes. It's soft plays. He's a peripheral player. He's making his bones on a power play, which obviously helped because every goal counts. Um, I don't care if it's power play or even strength. But when you have this advantage out line getting shut down on the road, and then your second line with Panarin is not producing because Panarin's not carrying the line like we need him to and we pay him to, that's where we start getting into trouble. And at home, that's different because we can get Meek out there. We have the momentum uh, with the crowd. Home ice does matter. Um, so it kind of changes the dynamic there. But on the road, they exploit the matchup by basically saying, we're going to put our best guy in Mika, and we know that we're going to be able to keep Panarin to the outside. He might get one through on a power play, but at even strength, we can kind of control play there. And then for us, the kid line's been great, but if you're counting on them to basically help control and dictate a series, we're, we're in trouble. I will say your kid line has been... Incredible. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, we've seen them developing better and better throughout the playoffs, whether it's chemistry or matchups against certain teams or what. But anything you expected from them for an outburst like this or just kind of like, all right, I like it. Let's keep them together for next year. <laughs> I mean, the last, I would say, month and a half of the season, Lafreniere was a completely different player. Um, Gallant benched him for a game. And I don't know if it was a spark or it's just like a break uh, because of the most games he's played in his life. Um, but ever since that game, he's come back. He's been a, a prick on the ice. Like you see it in the playoffs. He's he, second on a team in hits. Um, but he's getting to the rough stuff. He's battling in front of the net. He just has the puck. And he. it used to be where he would have the puck and I was waiting for him to just give it up. Or get taken off the puck. And now when he has the puck, Mike, all right, he's not going to give up possession. He's going to find the open guy. And we're going to at least have a scoring chance. Like, he's coming to his own as terms of, in terms of somebody basically taking the game and saying, I got this. And we started seeing that before the playoffs. Did I expect Heedle to play like this? Hell no. Dude had eight goals in a regular season. He's never had more than 10 goals in a season his entire career, even though he's still just 22. So this has come out of nowhere, but I think it just works because Heedle is a shoot first guy. Lafreniere is the playmaker and Kako is the guy that digs it, digs the puck out, gets it to Lafreniere and Lafreniere, Lafreniere figures out where to send it to. Um, and in the playoffs so far, that's Heedle. Um, I know they tried to break up that line for a couple of games and then they put them right back together and they picked up right where they left off. Um, but yeah, I mean, worst case scenario after this type of playoff run, all three of those kids are under contract. Two of them are still on their ELCs. How, and again, Lafreniere had almost no power play time this year and he had 20 goals. How much of a confidence boost is this going to be after a summer of rest, a summer of training, a full training camp to come in and go, Lafreniere, all right, I got this. If he scored 20 goals this year with no power play time and playing uneven, was he going to get 25-30 next year? Pick up I mean, that, that's the hope. Decide, like, <laughs> that, that's the hope. Yeah. So the kids have been great. 
uh, Lindgren is a fucking absolute warrior. That was going to be one of my, like, wild cards this series. I know we anticipated on recording sooner, but, like, one of my wild card thoughts was Lindgren, how long was he going to stay healthy in this series? Because it's noticeable. When he is not on your back end, you guys are not the team that you are. Like, you're just not that. So once he's out, it's like, so how long is he actually going to be able to stay healthy for in this series to make a difference for your back end. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it before round one. Lindgren's the type of guy that he lives that his style of play is the mantra of, I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. (laughs) And I got to be honest, it doesn't look like a good time. Like, look (laughs) at him. It looks fucking awful. Like, I don't think he's going to have a very long career with the way he plays and all the injuries he gets. But um, according to the beat, reporters for the Rangers, he's playing with a high ankle sprain. Um, and if you've ever had a high ankle sprain and you're trying to just skate in practice, never mind playing 20 minutes a night in the Eastern Conference final, the fact that he's not missing a shift or if he does aggravate the injury like he did in Carolina and he came back one shift later and never missed the rest of the game, it's just unbelievable what this guy is putting his body on the line for. I mean, St. McGoodrow coming back after 13 days, breaking his ankle, and then yesterday blocking the headman slap shot at the point with the same foot, missing one shift and coming back and finishing the game. So and, the other key thing is the Strom injury. Yes. That happened yesterday. So Gallant said today that Strom's good to go for game four. He's fine. No limitations. He practiced fully today. He had no limp. I watched a video of them going to the team bus even right after the game in game three. There was no limp. He was walking fine. I'm not quite sure what the injury was that kept him out for the rest of the game. Um, Obviously, it's not too severe, but at the time, I was like, ah, fuck. This means Cop will probably shift over to center, and then you have Goodrow in your second line, which... I like Goodrow, but and Strom hasn't been lighting the world on fire here. But you lose a little bit of kind of attention off of Panera, and even more so by having Strom gone because now they don't they don't really need to worry about Goodrow uh, carrying the play there. So now it's even more focused on Panera when that line's out there. So good that Strom is back. I'll believe it when I see it, that there's no limitation. I think that's just Gallant playing, you know. Little gamesmanship. Um, I hope there's no setback because that'll hurt. Um, I still don't know what the injury was. I watched the replay in slow-mo. There was a point where after he was kind of pushed in his lower back, he was fine. And then as he was turned and took a stride, his right skate actually hit the back of his, no, the left skate hit the back of his right leg and then immediately is when he started grimacing so i was like maybe he cut himself with his blade and that's why he he left the ice so quickly like that um and dropped a stick because if it's normal injury these guys you don't see them just like drop their stick and gloves and rush off the ice you usually see that when it's like there's a cut so i wonder if that's what the situation was um now are you surprised with the output of Frank Vitrano? 
Frank to tank. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the thing with Futrano, I mean, he scored some big goals for us. He's a little pain in the ass. My thing with him is he takes some bad fucking penalties. Um, usually in the offensive zone. Like that goalie interference penalty yesterday. I know McDonough cut him off and he didn't have a way to just cut towards the center of the ice, but you can't take that penalty. And that led to the Stamkos goal. Like you can't do that, man. Like you just got to know the game situation. Um, and that led Tampa Bay get right back into it. I mean, the Truba penalties, three penalties yesterday. Um, he's taken his fair share. It's... I don't know. Like, for Tom's a free agent at the end of the year, I'm sure he wants to get paid a little bit. I don't know if we're going to be able to afford him or if we even want to keep him with the development of the kids. Um, but Vitrano's been – I mean, we got him for a fourth-round pick or a third-round pick. Like, you can't really complain about anything he gives you. All right. Now, Igor in this series compared to the Pittsburgh one – Extremely reliable. Yep. Back to the Igor of old. Nice and common net. Was there any thought or worry that at some point he was going to fall off the rails again? Or do you think once he got it out, all right, we're in the playoffs and he's good? Yeah, I mean, I said this back in the Pittsburgh series. He had that one spell during a regular season that lasted two or three games, and then he was lights out the rest of the year. And I think... That's what that was. They keep harping on the fact that it's his first playoff action on a road with a crowd. The dude played in a KHL and the World Junior Championships, like all these international tournaments. He wasn't phased by the Pittsburgh crowd. Like I don't know why they keep harping on that with Ferraro. Um, I just think it was a rut. I mean, since that, since game four in Pittsburgh, he has a nine four five save percentage. So I don't have anything to worry about. If we lose this series because it's just Sturkin, I mean, that's the breaks. You know what I mean? Like, do you think anything would have to do with him waving goodbye to those Carolina fans? <laughs> I mean, the- Sturkin low-key likes to get likes to talk some shit. Um, like when he was leaving the ice yesterday, a fan leaned over the railing and must have said something, and you saw Sturkin stop and, like, mouth off to him and then continue down the tunnel. Like he likes getting involved a little bit. I will give I him an Academy just, Award for that dive yesterday with Perry. The the crazy Russian, you know, the <laughs> Russian machine doesn't break. Um but yeah, I mean early in the year when he waved to the uh penguins. Yeah, exactly. Like, he likes doing that shit. Um but yeah, I mean I'm just nervous because I know I'm rambling about the Rangers here. I'm just nervous about letting a team like Tampa get off the mat. Um, I still have full confidence in Shesterkin. I feel like we have two out of th- – uh, after game four, we have two out of three at home. So if we do go back and it's 2-2, we have home ice advantage. We have the crowd. We play well at home. We have the matchup advantage at home. Um we just need to win one on the road, whether that's game four or game six. Um, just need one. We just need one because if we win game four, that basically ices the series, I feel like. 
Um, because then you have the next, you have two out of the next three at home. So even if Tampa wins two straight, that means you have to win two on a road at MSG to come back and win the series. If they lose game four, then they have two out of three at home. And then you just need to win game six, because even if you lose game five, if you win one on the road in game six, that takes you to game seven at home. Um, and the way they played at home, I don't feel like they, they're going to lose the next two at home. So they, right. they just got to win one on, one on the road, whether it's game four or game six. But I'd much prefer if it's game four. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, heading out west, what are your uh, what are your thoughts and feels out there? I mean, I know we had texted before these happened. We were playing, planning on having this. I mean, I believe I said Colorado in six or seven. You said it was going to be... I said Edmonton in six. Edmonton in six. Um, I just, say, can I admit something? Uh, sure, go I, ahead. I picked Edmonton in six because I wanted to put that energy out there in case the Rangers made it to the final because I do not want to play Colorado. <laughs> just, just, just for personal betterment. Just That's for fine. Personal, I was like, just in case me saying it helps Edmonton get there, in case we make it, it'll be a hell of a lot easier to climb the mountain of Edmonton versus the mountain of Colorado. <laughs> yeah, I just... That game one where it's, you know, 7-3, I'm like... Holy shit. Yeah. Like, just absolute, you know, forget playing defense. Colorado kind of manhandles them there, game two. And then game three, we have the Evander Kane cross-check to Nazem Kadri into the boards. I mean, and McCarr's not even taking over the series. No, I mean, he he's noticeable, but yeah. he's not taking over. I, I think his biggest thing of this series was... I believe it was game two, that breakup he had on McDavid. Yep. I, I think that was probably a, a crucial point for that series. Can I need your opinion on two things. One, the, uh, the Evander Kane hit. Do you think one game is appropriate? Um, and the second thing is, do you think that was a slew foot on Tricycle? Uh So as for the Evander Kane thing, I think one game's fine. I don't actually like. Listen, it, it's reckless. It, it's dangerous, but he doesn't really extend out there. It, it's almost just like he came in. Does he already have the cross check out? Yes, but he doesn't follow through with it. it he doesn't give it to him. It's just a very bad spot. Uh, I did see this. So ex NHL referee Tim Peel took to Twitter after it happened. Oh fuck Tim And Tim Peel <laughs> writes karma. As for what was happening to Nazem Kadri, oh, because all his dirty plays. Yeah, and then a couple minutes later, took the tweet down. And I mean, what do you feel like? Do you, do you feel like that's karma? I mean, this has finally been Nazem Kadri's breakout playoff year, where he has actually been effective, efficient, and a hell of a player for Colorado. Yeah, and I then this happens karma when him. it comes to hockey. With that shit. So, yeah, he's getting his comeuppance for being a dirty little prick for Toronto and Colorado the last three or four playoff runs. All right. And, I mean, y- your thoughts on on the Kane incident? I mean, I think, I mean, Kane's been suspended before, never mind for all of his gambling bullshit. Um, I don't know. I think that's a play. Yeah, he didn't extend fully. But that's an, more so than a headshot on an open ice hit. That's the type of play that is going to lead to somebody getting paralyzed. Now, 
Do you believe Kane does that because he knows it's Kadri? If it's someone else, do you think he's doing it? Do you think he's doing it to get a rise out of Kadri to see make Kadri lose his mind for yet again past reputation? I don't think he was doing it to injure. I think he was doing it to piss the guy off and then draw a penalty. Yep. Um, it was stupid to do it so far away. Like he could have easily skated, took a couple more strides, and then did the old school two hand cross check. A cross check chopped down onto the lower back um, and started his little melee if he wanted to. Um, I don't, it probably didn't hurt that he saw it was Kadri, but I guarantee you, if it was McKinnon, he would have went even harder. Um, uh, yeah, if it was McKinnon or Marcar, if it was somebody else, I guarantee he would have extended even more. All right. Um, and I do not think that's a slew foot. I know that they're trying to say it's the Marshand. But I, oh no, that's I not think a that was his body positioning and the quote unquote follow through of McKinnon is him turning his body because he won the puck battle. I don't think there was a kicking motion. I don't think there was a slide out. I don't think he bent his leg in to make sure his knee got to the back of the right leg of Drysaddle. I just think Drysaddle was soft on a puck. McKinnon came in with speed, and McKinnon is underratedly strong. Uh, and and I'm going to say something, and it's probably not going to sound right because it's coming from me. But, like, Nathan McKinnon is not a a pretty skater no. in the <laughs> least. It, it, it is, like, hard, like, power skating, like, chops, like, through the ice. And I think that's all it is. I, I think the big fella is just trying to move there and get the body going. Yeah, I mean, he is a great skater speed-wise, but he looks like a water taxi with his body posture. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a fire hydrant on ice. Yeah. Like you're not going to move it. Um yeah, so I don't think that was intentional or dirty at all. I love how even when Marshan isn't playing in the playoffs, everybody can't keep can't stop talking about him. But poor guy got double hip surgery and fucking <laughs> He's probably at home being like, what the fuck? Yeah, he's like, shit. I'm rich. I made it. The last thing about this series is and this isn't something new since he's been in the league since like 1960. How ugly is the goaltending of Mike Smith? Like even when he makes a save, it's just so erratic and all over I mean, the place. Like, holy shit. This has been Edmonton's Achilles heel for years now it is the goaltending. And it's just always been there. And as for Mike Smith, I mean... When he had that series against Calgary, or, I mean, even that Game 7 win against L.A., I'm still going, like, I still don't trust it. Nope. I don't. I can't. You know, like, a leopard doesn't change its spots. And he has this one time, and I'm going, I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, nah, it can't be. Like, It just, it can't. It can't work out that way. And, I mean, he's already been yanked in this series. It's just, I, I don't know. I, I've never been a Mike Smith guy, and you, you honestly can't lean on Koskinen either. It's, it's just an absolute shit show both ways. Yeah, so, I don't know. It's just stylistically, especially after having 15 years of Henrik Lundqvist and that to have to sit through three rounds of Mike Smith, it's just like, this is so so bad <laughs> yeah and if they're wondering why it's been like that that's why that a boy edmonton sign him while he's hot um 
Yeah, so that's my thoughts in the series. It's one nothing Colorado in the second period right now in game four. I'm hoping that Edmonton can at least take it to game five or six just to get a couple more games out of Colorado um, in case the Rangers advance past Tampa Bay, kind of wear them out a little bit. Don't let them get too much rust. Um, but, yeah, so just to recap, Rangers need to win one on the road. Hopefully it's tomorrow, game four, making me breathe a whole lot easier for the rest of the series. Um but knowing this franchise, it'll be another game seven because nothing ever comes fucking easy. Do <laughs> uh, you have any shout-outs this week? I just missed you. I hadn't heard <laughs> from you. I was worried sick. Like, it was it was getting ugly. Yeah, well, I mean, you went to Colorado. We did go to Colorado, was, and I, I must say. For little sister. It was incredible out there. Like, I've never actually said I would think about leaving the northeast up here in new england dude i loved it yeah it was great like in the mountains beautiful um plenty of stuff to do with the kids garden of the gods just like absolute just mother nature at at its finest and i'm going fuck like (laughs) maybe we'll see did the kids like it kids loved it absolutely loved it and i mean obviously that makes it a little bit easier so it's like Oh, my God. Like, we had an absolute time. And then I'm thinking, like, just on my own end, I started watching games at 6 o'clock out there. And granted, I was on vacation. So, I mean, (laughs) the next part, what I'm going to say is different. But, like, dude, I was out there just getting bundled, like, starting to drink at 6, like, in a game. And then the game's over, and there's still time to go out and do shit. I'm like, (laughs) I've never had that benefit of... uh, of time in my favor. I've always been out on the East coast, you know, like having the difference in time is a complete game changer. I was like, all right, if I get, have the same job out there as I do here. Right. And I end up going out there and fucking I'm out of work and home by, you know, three 4 o'clock. The Bruins are on at five, like from, five by eight thirty they're done seven thirty they're done. I can even watch another game after that. Yeah. Like I don't know, man. It, it it sounds pretty good to me. That's what it was like when I was living in San Francisco where the Ranger game would start at four. It would end at six thirty and I would still be able to go out to dinner and drinks or go to a show and come back and it's ten, ten thirty and still get a full night's sleep for work. Yeah, dude, that's fucking incredible. And then like, that's Sunday football nice. starts at eleven. Oh, dude, I would be in. No, I actually, on the, start, the first game would start at ten o five. Ten, yeah, like and I would be. The late in game one. would start at one, and then Sunday night football would start at five. And after three games, it's eight o'clock at night. Yeah, see, I mean, Sunday night football doesn't start here until eight o'clock. Yeah, at night. like, but the the bad part about it was at eight o'clock, I'd be like, all right. Let's, let's record and be like, dude, it's 11.15 here. <laughs> yeah, like, it's a little different over here, but that's fine. Um, but, yeah, glad to hear the trip went well. And shout out to Sierra for the uh, extra jewelry. Yes, engagement at the top of uh, Pikes Peak, so that was pretty cool. Um, shouts for me, uh, low-key, but uh, as you know, I had some dental surgery over the weekend, so giving a shout-out to my brother for picking my groggy ass up and bringing me home. 
uh, and talking shit to me the entire way because I was so loopy that I couldn't focus on anything. And my legs were like jello. And as I was walking, he was like, can you just fucking move it, man? <laughs> um, so shout out to for getting me home. Shout out to the coaster for being gentle uh, with her playtime and jumping around and everything while I was in bed. Uh, and not jumping directly onto my face with her paws like she usually does. So dogs, dogs just know. It's weird how they can just be like, okay, something's up. So I'll be a little different here. I mean, um, very nice of her. She's a good girl. Yeah. Um, and shout out, you know, Artemi Panarin, Game 7 winner. Uh, shout out to the Rangers again. I used the conference final. And I swear to God, if you get me this far and break my heart again, I'll fucking kill you. I love when he says it with just like such passion. Though, you know? just, this <laughs> makes get, you feel different. Don't get me two wins from the Stanley Cup final, then fuck me. <laughs> uh, don't you just love they pull the strap on on? You're like, mm. oh, that's for me. <laughs> <laughs> See what's going on here. <laughs> but next time we talk, it's going to be at the end of the conference finals. It looks like Colorado's on their way to the Stanley Cup. We'll see about uh, the Rangers in Tampa. But the next time we talk, it'll be our Stanley Cup final preview. And it's going to be Colorado versus the Rangers or Colorado versus Tampa Bay. Either way, it's going to be a fantastic Stanley Cup final. I mean, you said it. I, I have nothing else to say after that. That was, that was wonderful. <laughs> but, ladies and gentlemen, we will catch you then. And, I, and Benny just has to hit you with one for the road. Bye-bye. Trade.